Welcome to Doe, a podcast where we discuss John and Jane Doe cases from around the world. My name is Kat. And I'm Allie. So, forensic fact for today, it's pretty short, but it's just because I was listening to another podcast where they were talking about decomposition and the rate between remains in water and on land, and they were wrong, and it was bothering me. Um, So, generally, in ideal conditions... Remains that are submerged in water take longer to decompose than remains left on land. And then buried remains take the longest out of all three. So the podcast I was listening to kept saying that it decomposed faster in water, which is not true. And like this is obviously all dependent on what kind of scavengers you have in the area and environmental factors. And like obviously if a body is left in a desert and nothing eats it, then it's going to stay in better shape than, like, a body left in a river with piranhas. Because they love dead flesh and they'll eat it very fast. Right. But, yeah, in ideal conditions, a body on land is going to decompose the fastest, followed by water, followed by buried. In my non-scientific brain, I feel like that does make sense because you have the water kind of... I know it's not, like, formaldehyde, but I'm just picturing, like, the head in a jar. <laughs> I, I know that's not what is happening at all, but that's where my brain goes. I think it's because um, a lot of it is because of the saponification. So when you're decomposing in water, um, the fat kind of rises, and oh. saponification is the fat tissue because soap is made from fat. I don't know what it's made out of nowadays, but back in the day, mm-hmm. it was made from animal fat. And so that's essentially what it is. Right. You get covered in soap, essentially, as you're decomposing. That sounds... gross. Yeah, I was going to say, that sounds much more good smelling than it probably (gasps) Oh, no. Definitely bad smelling. It's animal. Well, human fat. You know what I mean. But I think that helps protect it. Plus, then you have to think about what kind of scavengers. And if you're exposed to the weather on land, stuff like that. Yeah, that makes sense. So that's this week's forensic fact. I don't have a forensic fact, but this conversation just reminded me of a documentary we watched in film school, and I believe it was called The Act of Seeing with One's Own Eyes, but... Sounds very pretentious. It's Yeah, it's a really pretentious name. (laughs) I think it's by Stan Brackage, and it's basically he just went into where they were doing autopsies, and he filmed all the different types of dead bodies. Like, he filmed, like, one that had been burned, and they were doing the autopsy of, like, a super waterlogged, bloated one. And we were all a little traumatized, but it was also, like, you couldn't look away because it was, like, not something you see every day. Well, it's kind of like um, in my pathology class, we watched an autopsy. I think I told you about this, where it was, like, um, an educational autopsy, so the body had already been, like, embalmed and stuff, and it was just all very matter-of-fact. And they had soothing guitar music playing the (gasps) entire time. You've told me this before. And And it was the... Weird. Yeah. As you're watching a body get cut up, it's like, like I get why they did it, but also why? Because it was like, because you're watching something that's really disturbing, but then you have the soothing music to kind of get you through it. But I think it also made my friend fall asleep. So should I get into my dough? My case is Angel of the Meadow. She was found on January twenty fifth, twenty ten, in a parking lot in Manchester, England which used to be the site of an infamous Victorian slum, which was famously referred to as Hell Upon Earth by Frederick Engels. That's just backstory, because this dough was not from the Victorian era. 
So this area is between Danzig Street, Miller Street, and Angel Street. And this area is called Angel Meadow, which is in the Collyhurst area of Manchester. Hence Angel in the Meadow. Oh, that's clever. It is clever. Because when I saw this one in the spreadsheet, I was like, oh, it's a pretty girl that was found in a meadow. So in 2010, the site was being redeveloped into a new headquarters for the Cooperative Group which is a huge co-op group in England with over 7,000 locations, and it does everything from retail food stuff to legal services. So they were building a huge new fancy office when a worker who was cleaning up the site noticed a skull, which then led to a human skeleton concealed under a piece of blue carpet. Now, this doe, uh, they thought that she died between 1975 and 1988, and she was found in 2010. What? What did this site look like? I actually have a photo of it. And it's been called a wasteland or an old car park. But this is, like, obviously when they were redoing it. So you can't really tell what it looked like before. But it was just, like, flat land or something? That would make sense why it was called a meadow. Yeah, that makes perfect sense, I'm assuming. Yeah, except not, like, a nice meadow. Like, a bad meadow. Yeah. So for, what, 30 years? 30 to 40-ish? Potentially. I understand if it wasn't a well-trod area, but you think that someone in those 35, potentially, years... And especially since it's between three roads. It seems like the type of place where, like, you would take it as a shortcut. Yeah. So I would imagine, this is just me wildly speculating, people saw this body before and just didn't say anything. Or they saw the carpet and they didn't realize what was underneath it. Yeah, because I guess it would make sense, like, if you just see this piece of carpet... It'd be like, oh, someone just threw that out. None of my business. Because, yeah, like, I'm, I'm not, not cleaning that up. Yeah, I'm, like, walking to work. I'm not going to go rummage through this weird-ass carpet. And what do they know if she was found articulated? That's a very good question. Because then my other thought would just be, like, if she had been moved there. Based on the fact that they don't say anything about that, I would imagine she is articulated. Because they didn't say that she was out of place. Okay, so then she, yeah, she was there based this on, whole time. Based on my assumption that because they didn't say anything. Okay, so she had a fractured neck, a fractured jaw, a fractured collarbone, a fractured nose. And this all happened very shortly before her death. And she was also potentially sexually assaulted. Mm. That's a long list of bad shit. So why do they think that? If she's skeletonized, there's no way for them to know. That's true. Um, let me see here. Because I could only, the only thing I could think of with that is if, like, say, any of her clothing from, like, waist down was found not on like, her. ripped. Actually, maybe that is, the dress was close to her and it had some tears in it. That's why they think that. Okay, that makes more sense. Sorry, I just had to read, like, one sentence no, further. Okay. <laughs> um, this all happened shortly before her death, and initially they thought her age at the time of death was between 18 and 35, but then they used carbon-14 testing on her teeth and bones to narrow her birth date down to between 1950 and 1954. Mm. So she was between 5 foot 1 and 5 foot 7 and had a number of fillings in her teeth. Her first upper right premolar was gone, which would have been visible when she smiled. Yeah. And she was probably of European descent, but could also have been Middle Eastern or Indian. The clothing they found with her was a blue sweater, mm-hmm. a blue bra, a green pinafore dress in a groovy 70s pattern with huge buttons. And the pattern on the dress is a super duper distinctive pattern. It's a, like a dapper looking 1920s man and a woman, and they both have like spiffy hats. That is such a bizarre dress pattern. I love it. I have a photo, and I love it too. So this is the dress pattern, and this is the dress. 
Oh, yeah. That is a crazy pattern. Yeah. It's, like, from a very distinct time period. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. They also found only one black stiletto. Other items found near her were a Guinness measuring chart from the late 60s, which has also been described as a sign. It basically sounds like a piece of pub gack. Okay. That was Guinness branded. Yeah, so that could have nothing to do with... Yeah, it could be not related at all. It's just maybe from the same time period. (laughs) People were dumping things it, yeah, there at the time. Yeah, my first thought is it's like a dumping ground, basically. Yeah. There was also a blue carpet, an orange carpet, and a darker blue carpet, a handbag, tights, and a jacket that wasn't described. I'm assuming the handbag was empty and didn't have any ID or any other yeah, stuff in probably. it. One of the carpet pieces, I'm not sure which one or what the color of it was, had a hole in it for a gear stick, and police thought it was from a Ford Cortina. I'm going to look up this Ford Cortina. Yeah. It's like a quintessential, like, Oh, yeah, 60s. that's just like a... Yeah. Made from 62 to 82. It was oh. the UK's best-selling car of the 70s. Not great for investigation. Okay, so they only found one stiletto. Okay. And the Daily Mail... Well, we got some problems with the Daily Mail. Oh, many, many, many. I feel like that's a discussion for another podcast. But, yeah. Um, the Daily Mail says that the other stiletto is believed to have been taken by her killer as a trophy... Mm. So apparently they checked the shoe to see if it was a match with any in the collection of the shoe fetish serial rapist in the area named James Lloyd, who kept a shoe from each victim as a trophy. So I don't know if that's the Daily Mail thinking that because this one dude took shoes as trophies, if you only find one shoe, it's because the other one was taken as a trophy. Yeah. Like, Like, I could see investigators wondering that, like, because if they already have someone and, oh, okay, we're missing a shoe. But it could also be, like, media sensationalism. Also, she's potentially been laying there for, like, 35 years. Oh, that's right. So, to me, it's not that random or bizarre that something is missing. Yeah, and that's, so that's going, like, if it were at the time, it's, like, a stronger case than... Yes. Now, where it's, like, "Mm, okay, but she's been there for a really long time. Maybe a bird took it to make a nest with. So, they did a reconstruction and featured it in a May 2011 episode of the BBC TV show Crime Watch. I kept thinking that something was off about the clay reconstruction, and then I realized it doesn't have any hair, and then I also realized that it was blue. Do you have a picture of I that? do. Let me just grab it here. The point of, like, these facial approximations is to look like a person. Okay, so I don't have a photo of it being blue, but... Okay, th- th- that... Yeah, that does... It just doesn't really help because there's no, like, it doesn't put her in the context of being a human. And that does not look like a woman in her 20s, which is, what she, like, 20s to 30s. Yeah. Like, that looks like someone in their, like, 50s. So, yeah, no, I'm sorry, that is not good. No, I just, I understand that, like, you don't want to make it look too, like, the facial approximations or estimations, you don't want to make it look too much like a person, because then... People might get this set idea of exactly. what it looks like in their head. But I think it also has to look somewhat like a human. Yeah, that that, you could well, just that's why you see. have, like, all the different ones where it's, like, you have a bunch of different hairstyles. Yeah. So you can see, like, yeah. Yeah, because, like, I think I told you about um, the one case that my one prof who was doing the um, forensic facial reconstruction class, there was a case he worked on where he did one, and in the poster the police sent out to the public... There was one where he had, like, long hair, short hair, like, bald, some with facial hair, some mm-hmm. without. And that ended up being what caused a fam- like a family member to be like, oh, I know who that is. Because when he went missing, he had long hair, 
well, not so much missing because he was, um, he led a transient lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So they were used to him disappearing, but then he just never came back. But he had like long hair and he had some facial hair. So one of the ones are like, that's him. And then he was saying at the funeral, some of the family members said, to, like, went to my prof and were like, that looked just like him. And other ones were like, okay, that looked nothing like him. So that also gives you an idea of like how finicky this process yeah, is. Yeah, because you're basically kind of basing it on people's memories. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like that happens ten times more than us just, like, for lack of a better term, the web sluice on the internet being, like, putting the puzzle pieces together. It's usually someone who actually knows the person. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what you're relying on is... Yeah. And so, yeah, they'll we'll do all these different hairstyles and things. Or you'll see with some with glasses, without glasses, because... Who, who knows? Who knows? Maybe they did have glasses. But, yeah, so doing it, like, this complete bare bones is not a good idea. Because that's not going to lead to anything. Yeah, it doesn't seem super helpful. And then while we're talking about it, here is um, the University of Dundee Center for Autonomy and Human Identification did the sketch, I guess, because their logo's on it. And it's better. But I'm confused of how this was created. It's like some parts are in focus, like the features are in focus, and everything else is just blurry. Like, did they just take a model face and because she was skeletal? I'm not sure. I don't know enough to about facial reconstruction to really, I guess, comment on it. Okay, so in May 2011, the police revealed that they had compared her dental records to three Manchester women who went missing. Helen Sage, missing in 1997. Zoe Simpson, missing in 1996. And Helen McCourt, murdered in 1988. They did DNA analysis and ruled her out as a victim of Scottish serial killer Peter Tobin, Peter Sutcliffe, who is the Yorkshire Ripper, and Ronald Castry. In November 2012, the police announced that they had a list of 22 possible matches for her identity, and at least three of those potential matches came from suggestions from the public. The strongest possible link is a woman from Tanzania, and there are also potential connections to women from Ireland, the Netherlands, and Texas. They've apparently made numerous trips to Ireland, so that seems like that's mm. probably a good lead. Um... So, Angel of the Meadow was buried in March 2015 in Southern Cemetery in an unmarked grave, and that same month, police announced that they were looking into familial DNA analysis, and they had a DNA profile of the victim. Uh, And it's good that they buried her, because the police said that they buried her specifically so that they could be given to the family if and when they find them. And also, it's always just good to have that. Yes! So you have it. Because technology is changing all the time. Like, things that we couldn't do, say, 10 years ago, we can do now. So yeah. keeping as much evidence, and at this point, human the human remains are evidence. Mm-hmm. Like, keeping all that as much as you can and not altering it anyway is the best course of action. Yeah. Yes, yes that's good. Yes. So, A plus on that. And in the course of trying to solve this case, they've reunited six people with their families. Aww. They didn't say that these were, like, deceased Dead or alive yeah. um, people, but that's still awesome. That's still amazing. And they've located 46 other women. That's amazing. It's, yeah. I, that's one thing I love about these cases for trying to find identities is they always end up just, not accidentally, but, like, as a result of their investigation, solving other things. It's a net good. It's a net good. Yes. Um, so police are currently waiting through 400 potential oh, DNA results wow. that came up. So I think that she's probably in one of those 400 DNA results. I I would think so. It's just so we might just hear about this, but it would take a while. Yeah, it depends how many people are able to work on it and everything. Yeah. 
That's amazing. Yeah. So hopefully within this year. Yeah. So that's Angel of the Meadow. That's a really interesting one. It is. And yeah, there's obviously like a horrific story there. Yeah. Because without the sexual assault thing, I was like, maybe she was like hit by a car. Like if it was a roadway Cause, in the time, because just based on the injuries, it's like, I mean... Like, everything was fractured, Yeah, basically. like, based on the fractures, my first thought was, oh, maybe she was hit by a car, it was, like, a hit and run, they hid the body because they didn't want to, like, deal with it, because we see that still. Yeah. But then potential sexual assault, it's like, well, that doesn't make sense. And also, it was only, um, I said everything was broken, but it's just a fractured neck, jaw, collarbone, nose, so it's all Yeah, like it's, like, upper body, body yeah. so that's not as likely. Yeah, that makes more sense of, like, somebody attacked her. Yeah. They, just, they seem pretty confident in some of their leads. So. And it seems like they're putting a lot of effort. Yes. Yeah. They're, they're really taking it seriously. Yeah. So. so that's good to see. Yeah. Alrighty. Alright. I guess it's time for mine. Coming back to Canada with this one. Oh, yeah. So this is the Aramosa Doe or the Rockwood Doe. On August 25th, 2005, the partially decomposed remains of a woman were found in a rest area off Highway 7 east of Guelph in Aramosa Township. The woman had been covered with a Woods brand sleeping bag of an unknown color, by which I mean nowhere seemed to list it. Like when they found the body, I'm sure they knew what color it was, but nothing says what color. So I'm kind of thinking that police are holding on to that detail to like yes. identify. Like, that definitely seems like something that they yeah, hold on so to. Yeah, so I think that's the only reason. Um, and the sleeping bag had been manufactured until 2004. And this is a sleeping bag that was sold nationwide by Canadian Tire. The rest stop had a picnic area, and the woman was found in the woods around it. Investigators believed that the woman had been dragged from the picnic area about 30 meters into the woods. She was described as white, 25 to 45 years old, 5'4 to 5'6, and approximately 130 pounds. Her hair was medium brown, but lightened to make it reddish. Judging by the facial approximation, her hair was like a bob or shoulder length. Her eye color could not be determined. Investigators believed that she had been there for about a month and that she had been concealed at night, which isn't exactly a stretch. That's just like a very, very good guess. Yeah, because unless this is like a, a stretch of the highway that is desolate at all times, because you mean there are those ones, then it's it only makes sense that this happened at night. Um, so she actually had a lot of identifying features and artifacts. I'll start with the clothing. She was found fully clothed and everything was found to have been purchased in the Montreal area. There was a pair of size 9 black illegal jeans wear corduroy shorts. That's a brand. Mm -hmm. uh, and it sounds like they were short shorts. With two horizontal zippered front pockets and two back pockets with button-down flaps. The brand was distributed by Roadrunner Apparel Inc. of Lachine, Quebec, near Montreal. There was also a size 10 to 12 beige atmosphere tank top with one inch straps and a scoop neck that had been made in Quebec. She was wearing a white thong with a small bow on the front made by Rivage Intimates. Finally, she was wearing a size 34B hot pink 725 originals bra with the number 31 printed on the upper left corner of the left cup. This is a Walmart brand distributed in Canada. 725 originals is like... It just brings back a lot of memories for me mm -hmm. of middle school attire, but also I guess it's because I don't like sports, but I never really understood the whole, like, put a random number on all your shit. I have no idea. Like, I have been trying to figure that out forever. Yeah, I don't really. I don't get it. I looked up, I looked up the brand and looked up their trademark and everything trying to figure this out and I don't get it. 
but here's a picture of those of the shorts. And then I guess you just have to picture what a tank top looks like. No shoes were found with her, which investigators feel indicate that she didn't walk to the area. Then again, she could have just been like my dad, who refuses to wear shoes pretty much anywhere, including dropping garbage off at the dump after a trip to the cottage where he encountered a bear. I also think that perhaps she maybe, if she didn't have any shoes, there's also the possibility that she had to walk to the area. Gotta have to walk? Well, I mean, like, if she was like, shit, I'm in a bad situation, and now I have to walk somewhere, and then she encountered another dude. Oh, I see. Like, you see what I'm like saying? Like, going from, like, the frying pan into the fire. Yes. Like, I, get, yeah. I get it. Like, she had to escape this. I'm just totally just, like, starting this whole screenplay <laughs> based on this, but maybe she had to, like, escape from some house, and she was, like, running down the street. That would make sense, yeah. That's, that's my thought of that. Or, like, if she was a passenger in a truck. Like, you'll see it all the time. Like, people with their bare feet propped up on the dashboard. Like, that kind of thing. Yeah. So there's a lot of possibilities of why she was yeah. not wearing shoes. So, physically, she has a lot that could be used to identify her. Her skull has evidence of a healed injury, which would have left her with a facial deformity. Due to the injury, wherein she presumably lost two teeth, she wore a low-grade, temporary, partial upper dental plate consisting of a left incisor and canine. There was antemortem trauma to the nose and left eye socket, which likely happened after the age of 18 and could have occurred as recently as six months prior to her death. She also had evidence of a previous injury to the left anterior seventh rib. Since everything is on the left side, it can be assumed that these injuries all occurred at the same time. Uh, investigators think she was spending time in the area between Brampton and Guelph and hypothesize that she might have been a recent summer of arrival, possibly a new immigrant. Investigators have her fingerprints and DNA, but have been unable to find a match in Canada. Since she could have been a recent immigrant, investigators sent her data to Interpol, and they are focusing on Europe and the States because she's white. Which, there's other countries with large white populations, like Australia, New Zealand. So I'm hoping that they're also expanding that. But also, maybe there's something they haven't told us, which is there why is they're... That, like, if they did isotopes or something yeah. like that, it would make or sense. Or maybe if she had something on her that they're mm. keeping a secret. So in 2008, the Rockwood Knights of Columbus placed a memorial stone where her body was found so that she would not be forgotten. Okay, well, here's a picture of her memorial. And here's a picture of the... Where'd it go? Rather, uh, the ceremony. That's really sweet. It is. I really like that. Okay, so there's a small plaque amid the flowers that says, Please pray for the soul of an unidentified woman whose remains were found at this location. Mm, and sweet. this article is from therecord.com by May Warren and from 2015. Um, and it was talking about how the Rockwood Knights of Columbus were planning to have a small ceremony on August 23rd to commemorate um, the 10th anniversary of when police found the woman's body on in 2005. So yeah, so they did a 10th anniversary service for her. And there's an artist's rendition of what she might have looked like um, also on the memorial. And it sits on a piece of wood between two reeds. Hopefully, some again, something comes up with the DNA. They have her DNA. And clearly, uh, people in Rockwood, Aramosa Township, are working. Like, they they haven't forgotten her. Yeah, they still care about her. And yeah. Her, yeah, that's good. Oh, yeah, and there's a, a stone at the site. I think that's where the memorial is. 
Um, but they said there's a spot left there on the stone that if she's ever identified, we'll put her name on it. That's really sweet. Yeah. And they said that um, the knights don't know who keeps leaving flowers or who placed the little light. There was a little light next to it. They said somebody's really praying for her. It's a mystery who's looking after it, so it's affected somebody in some way. I'd really like to know the story there. Yeah, because like, it might just be like one of us where it's yeah. just... Just really... Really affected by, like, a doe case. It could be somebody who knows something, like... Yeah, it could be. But yeah, so this is likely a woman who newly arrived in the area and something bad happened. That's so sad, and I want to give all does hugs, but... I know. So yeah, this is the clay bust, where you can kind of see where they've done the scar. There's so many things that I want to know in this case, like all cases... But I would like to know who's leaving the candles. I would like to know what happened that caused all of that trauma on the yeah. left side of the body. I want to know if that happened at the same time. And obviously I want to know what happened to her. Yeah, and also if some this happening was, like prompted her to leave. Like, there's so there's many. There's so many ways that this could go. Yeah, this is like one of those ones where there's just so many factors that we just, we just have nothing. Know. My soft case this week is Lady of the Hills, uh, whose real name is Lamduin Armitage. Okay. She was discovered on Mountain Pen Egent in Yorkshire on September 20th, 2004 by, uh, it sounds like a couple of hikers just walking around, I guess hiking. They discovered her in a popular lo- location near a national trail, Penine Way, in a stream called Selgill Beck, which flows into a cave called Selgill Hole. It's thought she died around three weeks before her body was discovered. There were no signs of violence, and the cause of death wasn't obvious, but they were able to determine that she wasn't stabbed, shot, or bludgeoned. At the time when they found her, the going theory was that it was hypothermia. Okay. And she was discovered by them taking photos. So there's a photo on this BBC article where you can see a hiker and there's pixelation in the background. That's her, I think, and I almost didn't even put this in because my brain just did not compute that, like, that happened because that's a very, like, if that happened yeah. in a movie, I'd be like, that doesn't happen. Oh, my God, because then, I, yeah, like, did the person taking the photo notice as they were taking and then go, oh, my God, what's and in the it, background? Or were they looking at it and went, wait a sec, what's that? So I'm going to show you oh, okay. the photo. Oh, yep, there nice. it is. Oh, Yep, and it says, when Richard Hill posed for this picture, he did not realize Lamduin Armitage's body was wrapped around the rocks behind him. Well, I would hope not, else he wouldn't get the photo taken. You would imagine that. Well, I mean, there are certain people who do do that. So, uh, she was of Southeast Asian origin. She was 4 foot 11. She was between 25 and 35. She was gap-toothed, and her teeth were in good shape. Uh, she was found in green jeans and a green and white striped t-shirt. These were both probably from Marks and Spencer. She had a wedding ring that looked like it was from the Yawarat, a Chinese district in Bangkok. She had pierced ears, but no earrings in, which I relate to very hard because <laughs> I've had pierced ears forever and the last time I wore earrings was probably a couple years ago. Yeah, you're like my mom. I always forget she used to have pierced ears. Yeah. She was not wearing shoes. She weighed 140 pounds and it looked like she gained weight in the years prior to her death. My note on this is, how can they figure this out? Stretch mark scientists? Like, if she had a belt? Ooh, yes. 
Because they figured that out with Lyle Stevick, that he'd lost That's right because of the belt. I was like, why do I know the belt thing? Because of that. Lyle. But yeah, like if there, if she was wearing a belt and there was anything with that or... And she had been pregnant and she'd been in England for at least two years. So a huge investigation was started. Police talked to trail walkers. They went door to door to houses in the area. They issued letters to hotels and such in the area asking for witnesses. They investigated every sighting of women matching the doe in the area. And just a sidebar, the area is Yorkshire Dales, which looks absolutely breathtaking. Like, we were talking about field trips. I feel mm. like... If we can ever get over there. Yeah, like, this would be a really beautiful field trip spot. And I'm guessing the area is probably, like, kind of a small town. It sounds like it, yeah. Yeah, because with all the effort they're able to expend on this. Then... Yes. And I feel like it's kind of like your doe in that a small town where things like this don't usually happen. It's like yeah. a big happening So she could have been from Malaysia, Indonesia, Singapore, Thailand, or Vietnam. Forensic analysis in October 2018 showed that she'd probably lived in Cumbria, Lancashire, or Yorkshire Dales. They found this out by testing the carbon, oxygen, hydrogen, and nitrogen in her hair, teeth, and bones. Mm. And a review of the case pointed to the woman being murdered. I'm not sure exactly what was in that review of the case. Well, because we know that she wasn't stabbed, bludgeoned, shot. No. I guess. But was she strangled? That's what, exactly what I was just gonna say. Because that was the one thing that that they didn't say like they didn't about. talk or like if she'd been drowned, like intentionally drowned or something, something like that, mm. like poisoned or oh yeah, I forgot overdosed. poisoning is a thing. By overdosed, I mean someone else overdosed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I totally get that. So, uh, police made a huge push to solve the case in 2018. They shared messages on Facebook in Thai, Filipino, and English. In January 2019, a family from Thailand said that the mother of the family, Jumsiri Srikanya, had not heard from her daughter since 2004, and the daughter had married a man from the UK named David Armitage in 1991 in Bangkok. And just remember, the ring was from Bangkok. Yes, in the Yawarat. Yes. And she'd moved to this, the daughter of this woman had moved to Northwest England in 1995. The last time she'd heard from her daughter, she'd complained that her husband was refusing to give her any money. When uh, Jume Siri saw the sketch of Lady of the Hills, she said it resembled my daughter in some ways, like the cheekbones and chin, but the forehead looked different. On March 19th, 2019, North Yorkshire police said they had identified the body via DNA. Uh, Landuan Armitage, whose maiden name was Srikanya, that family was right, that it was their daughter. They also identified her via fingerprints as well. She was from Northeast Thailand, the Udon Thani province. She and her husband, David Armitage, had three children and moved to Cumbria to live with David's parents. When Landuan disappeared, her friends and family in the UK were told that she'd gone back to Thailand. David himself moved back to Thailand a few years ago. So her cousin, Buathong Trimble, visited her grave, and it sounds like they're going to bring Landuan's body back to Thailand. Buathong said... I can see they've really looked after her. I feel really appreciative that they looked after Landuan, even though they didn't know her. The local village holds a memorial service for her every year. Oh, that's so sweet. It is very sweet. And it's very similar to your case, too. Yeah, it is. But in like even in this case, it's like they have her name. She is going back to Thailand, and yet they're still holding a memorial service for her. It's yes. Just... It's like they've um, they've taken her in as... One of their own. Yeah. And it's just sweet. And I'm trying to remember what article that was where she was talking, but I think it's one of the BBC ones. 
Um, it sounds like detectives are going to interview family members and follow mm. up on this case. Uh, some sources that I read say that he is a suspect, and some sources say that he isn't. From David Armitage, he says, I didn't kill my wife, absolutely not. Even if he didn't do anything, he would still be a suspect, because... That's where you look. You look at the spouse slash partner, mm-hmm. slash other close family member, like, that's where you start, and especially now that they know who it is, they're able to now start the investigation kind of fresh. Like, okay, this is no longer an unidentified person case. Now that we're looking at this as a homicide case, they're able to start with that in mind and they can make things a little bit easier, I think. So now they can be like, okay, why didn't you report her missing? Yes. When she was found, why didn't you come forward? The the update on this case... um, Would be like... Wouldn't be her identity, but it would be... Like, um, her murderer. Yeah, it would be if they've arrested someone. Yeah. Well, I have to go to work really early tomorrow. Yeah, and I'm seeing Book of Mormon tomorrow. We it's her being an adult. Yeah, we still don't have a sign-off. Our oh, sign-off yeah. is that we have no sign-off. That will be our official sign-off. Yeah. We have no sign-off. Goodbye. Okay, bye. Bye.